Forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Louie. He's Corey Peeper. As we uh, uh, get back from a little bit of vacation and uh, a chance to uh, uh, to uh, go go west, young man, and right. uh, have a little uh, South Dakota fun and uh, take a, a break uh, that way before uh, school year and other things uh, kick off here very shortly. And uh, the temperature is not saying this fall yet. Uh, there's been plenty of years in Wisconsin when by this point you have beautiful 70-degree weather and windows are open. And uh, now we got rain in mid-80s. And, uh, Feels like the middle, middle of summer. Week. Yeah, it's it's still uh, still here. I'm okay with that. It's, got, it's, uh, it'll happen soon enough. When I got to South Dakota the first two days, it was 104 and 105 for the temperature. And then it rained. And there was a day where the high was 58 and I was like, wow. The temperature drops out there. You can have them so fast. You yeah. could, you would, I don't know how anybody ever gets used to this because I did not dress for 58. I dressed for 80, 70, 58. I was like, oh, well. So it was a little more indoor stuff that day. Yeah, it's uh, This is where you can tell us full transition of seasons, right? You have a little bit of everything going on. Anywhere that has wide temperature ranges in general in their seasons uh, these are the uh, this is the time of year when uh, you can get all of that in the same week you know we talk about uh, uh, Wisconsin's good at giving you all four seasons in one week and uh, so you got that in South Dakota uh, there that way uh, I thought I was hearing someone rumblings of the four letter word uh, in some parts it never happened oh, but uh, there were some rumblings uh, about it so I'm glad that didn't happen August oh, man I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that so uh yeah, you don't never know what you're going to get this time of year. And same thing with Major League Baseball. It's been, uh, if you do like a two-week uh, uh, assessment for when we last had the chance mm-hmm. to uh, to dive into this to where we are now, uh, things have changed, tides have turned, and uh, teams are going off on on incredible heaters and uh, uh, players doing the, the same thing. Uh, the number one prospect in all of baseball who's no longer a prospect because he's now uh, gotten enough service time, Wander Franco, is one of those guys we'll talk about. The New York Yankees are surging. The Atlanta Braves are surging, both on nine-game winning streaks as of the time of this recording. So lots to uh, to get into and look at uh, races that have been uh, updated and some really cool uh, feel-good stories in baseball that have happened in the last couple of weeks that we'll talk about as well. But before we do, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, remind that the Heater Broadcast is brought to you by... River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Uh, it is back on the wagon uh, this uh, next weekend. Back there, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think we're going to have maple syrup this week. I believe we're supposed to get a delivery of maple syrup, so if that interests you, we should have that available. And then we open Labor Day, and then uh, we'll announce it on the Labor Day podcast, but we're going to have a special thing at the wagon on September 18th, which is related to the Heater podcast. Yeah, we'll be looking at uh, perhaps a live on location that we'll talk about here uh, coming up. But uh, we'll have that going uh, uh, as well and more details to uh, To come come there. More details to come. We got to hash it out a little bit more. But we'll we'll get it and, yeah, expect a live one at the the popcorn wagon. I'm I'm telling you right now, if you ever got uh, Oakwood uh, uh, cider donuts uh, at your location, I would be there every day. Is it open? It is. Is it? Oh, wow. uh, it went out Ooh. the last week. This was, seemed like it was a little early, but the weather's been good for yeah. everything. Uh, but the I apple cider donuts there. are available. I, I'm regretting that I've not been able to get there yet. 
because uh, I can get my fix right away. Uh, I'll have to try and so, get down there this week. Uh, nutrition, uh, be darned. We are uh, ready to oh, uh, I was uh, enjoy out, some food. I was food in South goodness. Dakota. I had this buffalo stew, and it was like, yeah. I, I texted Amanda. On the seventh day when God rested, he ate the buffalo stew because <laughs> it was just perfect. It was so amazing. And so I ate way too much of it, but I'm ready to be back, and let's talk some baseball here. Let's do it. Uh, so we will uh, take a look first at uh, – uh, what do you think? Should we go to the, the feel-good story? Best feel-good stories of uh, of the year have yeah. come, in my opinion, in the last two weeks. I think uh, so. We have to talk about the, if you build it, they will come. And what's made the field a dream so significant to me, you know, I grew up watching that movie. I think it's one of the better baseball movies that's out there. Uh, there's plenty of people that either like it or don't. There's, uh, I don't know if there's a middle ground necessarily. It doesn't seem to be lukewarm. It's either you like it or you don't. I'm but a fan. What, I'm a fan, I'm a fan. Uh, and what's impressed me about it is name one other movie that actually, to use the uh, words of LeVar Ball, spoke into existence the movie itself. The speech yeah. that James Earl Jones gives is exactly what's happened in Dyersville, Iowa, as people have gone there uh, to do this. And this is even before baseball hitting a home run on a marketing standpoint for the first time in, in decades. I don't even know if I can remember the last time that Major League Baseball had an event so perfect. It's been a long time since they actually did it right. And and then they got, on top of everything, like the marketing was great, the field worked out well, and then they got the, the game. unbelievable game between the White Sox and the Yankees, which involved what, four home runs in the last inning in blown save by Liam Hendricks followed by a blown save by I think it was Chad Green and Tim Anderson walked it off in the in the corn yeah the the corn was uh, awesome yeah the again props to whoever did the uh the, the idea it's an obvious one but sometimes you miss the obvious to have the players walking out from the corn into the stadium so cool. Now I'm glad they if you if you watched with it too, the funny thing is they had the different people that were there to make sure they didn't get lost in the corn. Just go straight this way, you'll Turn be just fine. Straight. <laughs> Turn straight. So that was uh good, but uh I thought it was great that Joe Buck didn't know that there's a difference between field corn and sweet corn <laughs> when he told me when he said on on air that he thought that people could just eat it. Uh live in the Midwest for a while, Joe Buck. Like you you were a St. Louis guy. How do you not know that corn it can't be I, eaten? I can't see how his dad wouldn't have known that uh, on air, but I think Joe's been too uh, urbanized to uh, remember Midwest roots. But, uh, uh, yeah, there's some uh, – you can definitely tell people uh, out of uh, – fish out of water uh, within it, but uh, at least they were respectful with it. You can sometimes get a lot of the, uh, uh, again, the, the flyover Midwest state mentality. Against, yep. yep. So it, it was nice to see that was done. It was respectful. Uh, it was appreciated, and it – if you want to know how good this event was, you can say it's hyped or anything else that people may have overhyped it or gone, gone gaga over it or uh, mixed re, mixed emotions for other people. Just look at the players from this. When they were coming out of the, the corn, when they were doing the introductions, when this was there, there was players with tears in their eyes, man. Like this was, this impacted the players as well. Uh, and you think of multi-million dollar uh, players, the professionals, this is what they what they do. They were back being kids in this moment. Yeah, I think it was, it was Aaron Judge. I think was yeah. he was really like, yeah. motivate uh, emotional while walking out there. You could tell like this this meant something to him. The most emotion that you'll ever see Aaron Boone express uh, in a game when they were talking to him beforehand uh, with within it. And I'm not a fan of his, but I was okay with him that night. <laughs> uh, but the yeah, it was a great game. Uh, Kevin Costner uh, with it. Again, you can't do the full pomp and circumstance for round two as this goes, uh, but for that game, for that moment, 
Uh, and like I said, I, 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 for the most part, I like watching baseball overall. And I, and I watch Brewers and I watch, and I watch Rays. So when I take my time, that's who I'm watching. But to watch a game in general, because there's other games that I watch, I don't really do that that often. This game drew me. Uh, I wanted to see this uh, as much as I'm, I'm not a Yankee fan in any which way, shape, or form. But that game, I wanted to see. And that was the same thing across the country. It was huge uh, ratings uh, for this game. And again, this is what marketing looks like. Good marketing looks like for Major League Baseball. They've already announced round two. Uh, the Cubs Triple A. I mean, the Major League team versus the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> we'll see if they have a Major League team yeah, next year. It's Cubs versus Reds next year. And I, I would expect the hard part is obviously you play a one game series there and then you get a, an off day. So the Yankees had an off day or the Yankees White Sox had an off day, played, had an off day, and then they played the next two in, in Chicago, right? So I know I've, I had heard takes like, oh, all 30 teams should play there. Yeah, but it's really hard for a non-Midwest team, right? Like Chicago, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minnesota, St. Louis. Like that makes sense. Beyond that, you told me like you have a Marlins, like they could play one of those teams, but like a Marlins Braves series can't be played at can't be played in Iowa. I I would agree that this is gonna this is going to become a uh, kind of like uh, Thanksgiving Day for for football. You have a couple of key uh, teams that are going to be there. Uh, there's plenty of regional Midwest teams uh, that you can use with this. Uh, so there's a good stretch. I even said like Kansas City is not sure, the Kansas closest, City. but yep, you can do that. Uh, Cleveland can do this. Like there's there's enough teams that are there uh, that you can pull that off uh, with uh, with that type of setup. Uh, but I hope baseball has seen because uh, I don't think it's going to lose its luster. In fact, we're going to talk about another game in just a second to show that point. And so I'll, I'll lead you with that. Baseball going to other places. Uh, we've seen this uh, uh, interna- international global stage has been what a lot of other uh, uh, pr- uh, professional sports have done. Uh, baseball has done a little bit of that in Japan, uh, so that some of this has, has taken place. But if you want a piece of Americana uh, and a way that uh, does this, like doing a game like at the Field of Dreams Stadium, doing it at the uh, some other iconic parks, even an iconic minor league park within it. or like There's different ways where you could have an off-site game that makes a ton of sense, that fits baseball, and does the marketing of the the simple joy. And what made Field of Dreams so cool is you went back to, well, what was that movie about? Uh, when you get to the, the end of it, it's about a father playing catch with his son. Again, that's the beauty of, uh, of, major, of baseball. Uh, and there's different ways that Major League Baseball can highlight that with some of these special type games. Uh, so thoughts on baseball continuing to do that, and you can lead into the the Little League game. I think they, I, the minor league stadium idea is great. I've said I think you know Nashville would be a great spot to fit a major league team, but there's a minor league game there. So if you told me the Brewers were to play a series a year there, I think that'd be awesome. And we've seen you know there was talk of minor league stadiums are too small. Well, we just watched Toronto play a, a full season there essentially. And yeah, the, the offense numbers were higher, but you can make it work. Right. And so I would love to see major league baseball just every so often send a game to a minor league stadium and spread baseball that way. Cause it's yes. a really good way to get, you know, I heard a lot of takes of, you know, it's in the middle of Iowa and it doesn't really spread baseball into the inner cities, which has been a big deal. And that's, that's true, but yeah. you don't have to, I d- decide one or the other. Exactly. You, you, you can do it. both. Yes. You want to say we need to do more recruiting in, in our city? Sure. Let's let's think of ideas that can do that. If we also want to grow baseball in a way that honors its tradition uh, and can still get people drawn to the game, like what is done to Field of Dreams or other places, do that too. I mean, it's both, not either or. 
Yep. And so last night they played at Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is home of the Little League World Series, which is, I think it's usually 16 teams, but this year none of the international teams came because of the pandemic. So it's just the major league rosters or, or the American rosters as far as the Little League games are concerned. And then the Indians and the Angels showed up to play a one-game series at Williamsport and just for the family and friends of the kids there. And it was a great game, too. The Indians won 3 nothing. Cal Quantrill pitched an amazing game, struck out, I think, nine, including Otani twice. And so it's, it's great. Like, those are the type of things baseball should do. I think they've played at Omaha for the, yeah. for the College World Series before. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they've done that. And I, you know, I heard people say, like, what about the Sandlot? Make, make like, a dirty field and make it look like they're not – Baseball fields are pristine. These guys are not going to go rolling ankle. Safe. Yeah, the key is, is safety. Like I, I get the idea, and maybe there's ways you can still have that iconic part to it, yeah. uh, but as long as uh, safety protocols are, are followed. Exactly, yeah. And so any way that baseball can spread the game is great, and I hope they keep doing the Field of Dreams. At this point, the stadium is built, right? The hard part's out of the way. The stadium's they, there. They've talked about they would need to do some uh, rebuilding of it uh, for next I'll year. I forget, I forget what the reason was within it, but the point is it is a low cost in the grand scheme of things for what it brings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that will keep happening. And you don't want to do so much that you become gimmicky, exactly. but but do enough that you can can have additional draws to the game that will get the casual person person to watch. I think that uh, we have enough Yankees Red Sox. I think right? enough. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned the Japanese series. We see in the NFL go to Mexico and England and maybe that wouldn't work, but Latin America, right? We should pl- see if we can play some games in Latin America. We know how big the game is down there. Baseball uh, should the try to move some games. From exactly. a few years ago was, yep. was there. The Rays were involved with that. Yep. So uh, more games down there. That would be good. That's a good way to go about it. Uh, more, I don't know how many stadiums are in Western Canada, but Toronto is the only one in all of Eastern Canada. So play a few games in Western Canada if there's a stadium up there. It would be a good way to keep spreading this game a little more as we, since we all love it. <laughs> Absolutely. So again, we've seen, uh, though, again, I knew the field of dreams game. I honestly didn't recognize the little leagues. I've heard a little bit about it yesterday, but again, here's where baseball dropped the ball. Where was the more marketing for that to get that word out there? Cause if, if I would have known about it, uh, I would have tuned in, uh, but I, I don't think it was, it definitely wasn't marketed the same way, uh, that field of dreams was. And I get there's a difference in the two, mm-hmm. but there's so much to like the, uh, the joy of a kid playing the game. And you could have done much more with the Little League World Series and also a way to advertise more of the Little League World Series at the same time. So this is where baseball needs to take advantage of these moments. And I get it wasn't that long ago for Field of Dreams, so how can you go from one and market the other one effectively in the same way? So I think the proximity to each other definitely led to that. But there's definitely more that baseball can do, and they're starting to do. Uh, that's, uh, again, a positive, uh, uh, positive to the game. Uh, overall, and we'll see what they do as we move forward. Uh, this will lead to more discussions about where can we do this appropriately uh, for other potential games. So I'm glad that discussion is happening. Let's talk about the other. Uh, if you want to talk about all the fields uh, that's gone on in Major League Baseball, uh, the Field of Dreams game that's reduced uh, grown men to tears. Uh, how about this story with uh, Tyler Gilbert, <laughs> who made his first career start at age 27, and goes out there and says, you know what, I don't want to put anyone on base today, at least with a hit. Throws a no-hitter in his yeah. first ever start. Uh, journeyman guy. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is someone yes. who may not even be, like, who has the potential. It would not surprise anyone if he wasn't on a major league roster next year. No, not like, at all. That's, <laughs> not at all. I mean, that's the, 
but for one day, right? And we, we, we've talked about that. This is the uh, the underdog stories, everything within it. Sure, uh, Goliath can beat uh, David 99 times out of 100, but that one time. Uh, and that's what it was for a moment. A guy made a career out of one start. Hopefully there's more to come for him. You root for it. Yeah. But uh, it's an excellent, uh, excellent story. Yeah, he... He's a Diamondbacks pitcher, and he no-hit the Padres. He walked Tommy Pham, I think, three times. I think that was it. Was He walked Tommy Pham three times. But this is a guy who was – okay, so there's a minor league Rule 5 draft for extremely – like, Johan Santana always gets brought up as this major Rule 5 pick because he is the best Rule 5 pick all time. But there's a minor league one for guys that have just bounced over the minor leagues and are not going to get a chance. Well, he got picked last year. And then, remember, there was no year. So he went to work as an electrician for his dad. That's what he did last year. During the COVID year, he went to work as an electrician for his dad and got picked. And he said this was his first career start. It was the fourth all-time, fourth person all-time to throw a no-hitter in his first ever start. I have the list here. It is uh, Bobo Holloman in 1953, Bumpus Jones, and Ted Breitenstein. And those don't even sound like real players, but Tyler Gilbert joins that list. And so, like you said, yeah, 27, it's it's an amazing feel-good story. I think he made a second start and gave up three earned, which isn't bad. Like, that's no. good. Keep it up. But uh, it would be much more likely to me that you said he's out of baseball next year than we ever see Tyler Gilbert be extremely effective again. But for one day, he threw a no-hitter, and you're, you, you're in the history books, my friend. And this wasn't a bad team uh, or a bad lineup. Again, yes, the Padres are scuffling, but that's more with the pitching side than it is the hitting side. Uh, and for him to shut down that lineup... Uh, and just just an impressive, uh, a cool story. Did you see his dad in the stands? That yeah, yeah. His dad. So his dad. I mentioned the uh, the electrician. I assume he owns the electric company. I don't know for that for sure, but he just happened to be there, and uh, tears and the whole family's tears were flowing. And that's just that. That these are the good parts of baseball here. Like keep up the feel good stories and and market it right. Like that's show that to people, and they did. So and tying them. it all together again, it goes back to the full nostalgia of baseball. A father and son playing catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, father rooting for his kid uh, as he's having a, a career game. Like that's uh, that's just again just the, the cool stories that are there, and we've gotten a, a heavy dose of that in the last couple of weeks. So it's hard to to keep that level up, hard to top it, hard to uh, sustain it. But hopefully, there's more of those good stories to come. A smaller one that I can mention with it uh, is uh, I mentioned that the Tampa Bay Rays have been churning through pitchers uh, with a lot of injuries of late and COVID lists and things along those lines. Uh, but the uh, story got out there that uh, uh, Chris Mazza uh, was uh, in uh, AAA. He's been bouncing back and forth. He's been on that Durham shuttle this year. Uh, with the, uh, Nelson Cruz got put on the, uh, uh, the COVID at least watch list. Don't know if he's got it or not, but I'm waiting to find out if it's there. Uh, and so at, at uh, early Sunday morning, Kevin Cash makes a call to uh, uh, Chris Mazza and asks, hey, can you get up here in time for the game? He was down in Fort Myers. He was pit, he was uh, fishing at the time. Nice. And had ninety minutes to uh, get to the how <laughs> to long the is stadium. that? Give uh, me a, give me a rough estimate. How long it would a, take me to drive? About that same. Oh, within okay. it. Uh, but he was able to get there and he pitched that game and did well. Uh, awesome. So again, you want to talk about how a day changes? You're down uh, fishing and hoping for a good success story there, and later on by the uh, by a mid afternoon, you're in the middle of a game uh, in a major league park uh, called back up uh, again within it. So. I gotta love the uh, the random stories yeah. this time of year as the, rosters are being stretched uh, uh, thin as a result of COVID, all the injuries. The COVID injuries that are 
just could like snap, like you don't hear anything. And then they're suddenly there. And it's, it has made for some weird stories as far as back and forth this year, because like I said, remember the Brewers had to bring in John Axford who had been retired for five, 10 years or whatever. And uh, yeah, let's go to somebody who though, who uh, is not a flash in the pan. Uh, let's talk Miguel Cabrera because yeah. he hit his 500th home run yesterday at Toronto, got the curtain call from the Toronto faithful, which is awesome. Good for you guys. Cause you recognize the greatness and Miguel Cabrera is the best, uh, him and Pools at the time. They're between him and Pools, right? Best hitters of, I would say, that I really remember, that I really remember as far as my generation. And, uh, you know, I, I remember just bits and pieces of Ken Griffey Jr. and that stuff. But as far as what at my lifetime, it's been Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera, and he's now at 500 home runs. We're at 2,955 hits. That's the one I was going to get to. That's coming soon. The- the 500 milestone is not an automatic benchmark anymore uh, into Hall of Fame. Uh, it's elite numbers, but it's not quite at that level. Uh, 550 and 600 gets you more into a different category there, but 500 doesn't. 3,000 hits, though, is the benchmark. That's a, I think everyone who has 3,000 hits is in the Hall of Fame uh, outside of any sort of uh, issues. Pete Rose, right? Uh, but that is your, your ticket, and he is only 43 hits away. Uh, do the math for what's left. We have, what, maybe 40 games, give or take, uh, of what's left in the season, 35, 40 games. Uh, you need fifty, uh, roughly 50 hits. Uh, do you think he gets there this year? Probably not, but it's going to be pretty early next season. And yep. uh, he's a 311 career batting average still. That is amazing. Despite <laughs> the, the struggles uh, of recent years, yeah. uh, it's, uh, as his uh, skill set has waned, uh, at this yeah. time in, in his career, it's, it's not bad, but it's, it's and to be honest, it wasn't Albert Pujols bad for over with the Angels, anyways. Uh, but uh, so that's all he needs. Just ship him off to, yeah. to to the Dodgers, and all of a sudden he'll go off again. <laughs> yeah, who knows what they do over there? But I was just looking at some of these stats. Like you forget that he was a three forty four average consistently for years, and I think it was one of the best batting eyes. I think it was uh, Scherzer that called him the best right handed hitter. Yep. That he's ever faced. Yep. And uh, that's, you know, Max Scherzer obviously going to the Hall of Fame just like Miguel Cabrera will someday. And it's a big time accomplishment. He, he deserved it. Now we just start counting down the days till we get to talk about him when he gets to that 3,000th hit, whether it's late this season or early next season. We have a 2,000 hits to talk about. Joey Votto, who's, here's a question. Like, Joey Votto is, we haven't brought it up but he's arguably going to win the MVP this year too right like he has 28 home runs 81 RBIs and is hitting 280 this season so I don't know where it came from this 37 year old late career surge here because his career kind of looked like it was going the way of Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera but it is he's playing really well for a team that's streaking right now so yeah let's look at those numbers 400 plate appearances uh, 28 home runs 280 average 377 on base percentage 575 slugging percentage. He has a WRC plus of 147 and a wins above replacement of 3.2. Again, when you count a non-defensive oriented position, uh, that's actually really, really good. Uh, And he's uh, for a team that is surging uh, and now has surpassed the Padres for the second wild card spot. We'll see uh, how that goes. That's one of the races we'll talk about in in a little bit, but uh, he is back to having a vintage season. Uh, and we talked about what is it going to mean for all the races down the stretch when we talk about individual performance races, when we talk about MVP, uh, when we talk about Rookie of the Year. Uh, where is your team at in the chase plays a heavy influence on someone's uh, candidacy. Uh, and again, 
uh, for Votto, if the Reds keep doing what they're doing, if, if they surprise and make it into the, the postseason, uh, and if he plays a, a considerable part in it, as you would expect, yeah, you have uh, an MVP race that is wide open right now. Again, the thought was Bryce Harper could eventually get there again with uh, if the Phillies surged. Well, they're doing the exact opposite, so that kind of drifts you away. Uh while there's clear candidates in the AL, the NL was more void, which is why we were talking about Jake DeGrom at one point potentially getting it, but injuries have taken care of that. So you have a spot that's wide open. You know, maybe Freddie Freeman could go back-to-back. There's possibilities there. Uh, but Joey Votto is going to get consideration as long as the Reds stay in the chase. So I think we've talked about this before in the GOAT podcasts or other times, but we're now at 2,005 hits and 323 home runs. I, I've listened. I said I was out on driving around for hours. So I heard a lot of t- takes about Joey Votto. People that are strong. Oh yeah, he's a guaranteed Hall of Famer with that 417 on base percentage and 303 career batting average, and a lot of takes that are just he's just not there. So where are we standing now? I, he's in the Hall of Very Good. That's, right. I would I, that's, say that's he's the, very much Larry Walker. Like from there to like Fred McGriff. Right. Yep. I mean, there's guys that are the, the Hall of Very Good. There's excellent players that are in that category, but not quite the Hall of Fame. Level, And I think that's where Joey Votto uh, falls at this point. He doesn't have any of the key statistics that are the automatic benchmarks. Uh, and there have been years that he has dipped down and not been uh, uh, effective. His uh, power surge, this is the first time he's been approaching the 30 homer category since 2017. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. I <laughs> That's the part. The on-base percentage is always, I mean, even that started a dip of the last couple of years, and it's climbed up a little bit again this year, but that was always his calling card, right? He would Absolutely. consistently put like 430 on-base percentages out there in his big years. Even in his bad years, he was at 350. I mean, yeah, that's, that's still above good. That's still pretty good, yeah. But that that's what's always his calling card. But now it's suddenly the, the power is back, and what's his career high, like 35 in home runs? It's got to be right around there. That 30, uh, 37. That theory won the MVP award, right? Yep. 2010, yeah. That was... 37, so that 28th, you know, that's got a ch- outside chance of getting within a couple of that for yeah. sure. 2017, that year that we mentioned before, 36 home runs there, so one off his career high. So he's he has done this uh, at least in the last five years, but, you know, that's that's a long time in... Uh, in, in uh, Baseball terms, especially yeah. when you're now 37, 38 years old that he is, and so it's good to see him. It's great to see the career resurgence. I'm glad it's he's he can slow down a little bit. The Brewers need to gain make up a little game, few games on him to really get me feeling good about it, but we'll see. Let's, let's talk at least about what would it take to get him truly in the conversation, right? I, I think it's going to be he would need to have a Nelson Cruz uh, twilight years. Well, he has three more years under his contract, right? So yep. he's got – so he's not – he's getting paid by the Reds till 2024. So if you told me that in the next three years he put out 450 hits, right, 150 hits a year, Oh, that's that's asking a lot. Oh, no, it's not. So if you got 150 more hits, that's 450, so you're at 2,500 hits roughly, right? And maybe he hits 60-ish more home runs. That that gets him to about 380. I, I think he has to get over 2,500 hits, and he has to get over 400 home runs. And that, and that means, again, can he play till 42? Yeah. Right? So that's, that's what it's going to take. If he has a Nelson Cruz-type twilight, uh, of his career, if he can go another five seasons versus three, you're going to approach numbers that would make it close enough uh, to at least be getting strong consideration. But outside of that, he lives in the hall of very good. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right there because 2,500 hits and 
380 is probably not enough. That's like you said, that's Todd Helton. That's that's a yep, really good player, yep. but that's not a Hall of Fame player. Who makes the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame? Oh, he's, uh, he's, he's already there now. Not lock yourself in there. You're you're in. You and Barry Larkin can hang out together. Barry Larkin got in the regular Hall of Fame though after a while. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Maybe we'll be we'll still be talking about this in however that'd be ten years. We'll see if we've what we're doing then, but <laughs> Well, it's yeah. uh, again. Time has a chance to impact things, and the time has impacted the uh, the race updates as we take a peek at the uh, around the we'll go division here and just kind of walk through things of what's changed in just two weeks. Some races have gotten more competitive. There's been a movement in in those races, and uh, time for me to eat some crow in one of those races as well that we'll talk about. Uh-huh. Let's do that coming up next. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk! I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile! Freeze it, then cut it. You! Bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Now, you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, Hula Hoops, and Pac-Man video games, don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! Well, as we look at the uh, division races and, and look at the wild card and, and teams that are surging and players that are surging. We'll cover all, all of the uh, the heater elements uh, as we look at this uh, uh, recap of uh, races. And uh, where would you like us to start? Oh, we've been starting in the NL for a while, so let's let's go to the traditional route this time. I think we've been flipping it around the last few times. Let's go to the traditional AL East start. And uh, the Yankees are really hot. <laughs> they have won nine in a row here. Let's let's back up to say. The team that was most confusing at the time was the Yankees went for it at the trade deadline. They sought after players, both uh, expiring deals, which is questionable when you don't know if you're going to even make the playoffs, from Anthony Rizzo to a guy who was under control for at least one more year with with, uh, Joey Gallo. And I'll mention another AL East team in, in just a minute, but as far as which teams did the best job of filling specific holes... Yankees are right there. Uh, they had a problem with left-handed uh, bats, right? They they had a they were void of having that impact uh, due to injuries and other uh, circumstances, and, and uh, just not a career performance. Like DJ LeMahieu would be one of those. Uh, you have Luke Voigt, who's been the, the injury issues that have been there, and I you can see by his comments as well as by performance now, uh, acquiring Anthony Rizzo lit a fire underneath Luke Voigt who is now hitting the way that you'd expect him to and at least is being healthy enough to hit, which has always been the question mark. But teams on a nine-game winning streak, people again question, why would you make these moves when it looks like you're not even going to be contending for anything, let alone wild card? And lo and behold, here's a nine-game surge. They have had an excellent run since the All-Star break. Uh, And uh, time to give them at least a little bit of props. Uh, Thoughts on the Yankees' uh, resurgence? I think that they're better without Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres is hurt right now, 
and Andrew Velasquez is Defense playing. Defense matters. And I think they are a better team when Glaber Torres isn't on this roster. And I didn't think I'd – I thought he was okay. I would never thought he was as big of a player as he was. But I think they're better when he doesn't play. So they're putting out this incredibly strange – like Luke Voigt batted leadoff a few days ago. It was like Luke Voigt, Rizzo, Stanton, Judge. You know, they, they're they a huge team. I was like, if you want to talk about a get-off-the-bus team, it is the New York Yankees right now because there are some massive dudes on that lineup. And uh, it's working. The pitching has been – Garrett Cole is – Figured it back out again. He seems to have re refigured that out. And Andrew Heaney's done what I said he would. He'd get home, he got lit up for a lot of home runs, but they've gotten some good production lately out of guys like Jordan Montgomery and Luis Gill or Heel set a record for I think it was the first Yankee ever with three starts and no earned runs. So that's been great. And yeah, they've been playing really good. But the problem is they cannot catch your team because your team's also playing really good without nearly the fanfare. Yeah, let's talk about two things here. One, let's talk about it's great to see the if you are a Yankees fan, you love this resurgence, yeah. and you're uh, uh, you got those uh, uh, championship goggles on, and, and everything's on cloud nine. But let's take a look at that under the hood a little bit more. Who have they played in the last ten games? You have to give me a minute to figure that out, unless you know. Yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, Baltimore. <laughs> nice, who nice. Now losers of eighteen straight. Uh, and we're going to have to start doing for the rest of the year. Uh, Pittsburgh, you have been upgraded. You are no longer the uh, Pittsburgh oh. pi- a positive of the week. It's now the the, the Baltimore. Got to think Optimism about that one. Uh, yeah, uh, try, going for week. some sort of alliteration. I'll get there. I'm about to think of one with uh, with that one. Uh, but Baltimore is who they've played, as well as the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, they're they're also uh, very bad. Uh, that's uh, it's good that, again. I, Rays are like seventeen and one versus the uh, Orioles this year, so you need to beat you up play on the, the bad teams, teams that you're like, against, right? You play the teams and you, ha- and you need to take care of those those games. But I I want to see the Yankees do this against better competition before uh, completely saying they're they're back. Uh, and then you put it into perspective: the Yankees have been the hottest team in baseball over the last thirty games. They've gone what like twenty? What was that like twenty four and five? Yeah, uh, in their really last like, 29 yeah, games, uh, it's been an incredible run. They only gained two games uh, on the Rays because the Rays have been surging at a similar rate, uh, ho-humming it out there as they like third stringers, fourth stringers uh, going in with pitching and, and doing light-out stuff. Uh, you had uh, Sean Armstrong, uh, who was with the Baltimore Orioles, uh, DFA'd uh, for, or traded for cash considerations uh, with it. He just did two innings, struck out four batters. Uh, against the Chicago White Sox uh, over the weekend. Uh, so these are the types of guys that are coming in and pitching <laughs> very effectively right now. The AAA uh, uh, Durham Bulls uh, game yesterday looked like a full like rehab game because you had five members that were on the, the Rays bullpen at the beginning of the year or last year doing key, uh, key innings. Nick Anderson, Peter Fairbanks, Matt Whistler, uh, J.P. Fireisen, and then uh, one more that I'm forgetting right now, uh, all pitched yesterday. Uh, so you, know, you have almost a full uh, bullpen that's there, and yet the no-namers are, like I said, you had Chris Mazza coming up from uh, from fishing in uh, Fort Myers awesome. and pitching uh, uh, some excellent innings uh, for the team. So that's the way the Rays have been doing it, but it's not the pitching. I think they're leading the league mattered. in like, runs the last month, right? Well, welcome to the offensive yeah. juggernaut in Tampa Bay where they have not been known for that in their history since 2008 with their playoff runs. This has been pitching and defense. That's how they've won their games. Defense still matters. Pitching still matters. But they now have a margin for error that they've never had before 
because here's the other team that was able to correct a major flaw. As bad as the Yankees needed left-handed batters, the Rays needed right-handed batters because they were one of the worst teams in in baseball versus left-handed pitching. When you count Nelson Cruz with that trade, and it really hasn't been a lot of his own individual numbers, but the Rays have led Major League Baseball in runs scored since acquiring Nelson Cruz. The impact in the lineup, his presence in the lineup, has pushed everyone down a notch. Randy Arozarena has been now hitting left-handed pitching. Wander Franco has now figured out Major League Baseball uh, pitching, and uh, that should put everyone on notice at this point. His, uh, uh, We talk about heaters. Uh, he is now on a 24-game on-base streak. It's the longest streak in Major League Baseball currently, and it is the second longest uh, on-base streak in Major League Baseball history with someone who's 20 years old or under. Uh, one more game to match? The, say, hey, uh, the, the kid, <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, that's the, uh, that's the uh, territory that he's in now. He's batting 300, 375 on base percentage. He almost has as many RBIs and runs scored as games played. Uh, he has been a key driver uh, to the Rays, along with Brandon Lau refiguring out his uh, MVP caliber stroke. Uh, as he's been tearing up baseball, too. One of the streakier dudes in baseball right there. Absolutely. Brandon Lau is one of the streakiest dudes in baseball today. and He's on a high heater right now, so keep playing it. And so you have the AL East looking like the NL West as far as it's Giants and Dodgers, right? They've been going neck and neck there. Now uh, Boston has faded. Uh, Yankees are surging, and that's now the race to watch, which, again, that wasn't two weeks ago. Uh, when we were uh, uh, from our last time that we've had a chance to look at this. So again, how much things can change so quickly? Uh, let me ask the question. Do you think the Yankees can catch uh, the Rays here four games back? Well, this is going to be a big week for them because I looked at their schedule coming up. So they get to play the other super scorching hot team that we're going to get to in a minute, and they get two games against Atlanta, and then they go play Oakland. So if they can keep up and, you know, win five of six, four of six even, and it's how many games do they play against each other? Do you know that? Uh, that would be interesting to know. The Rays play uh, the Yankees at least three more times. I don't remember. Uh, three more games. Three more games. So uh, I, I can't remember if it's a more than one series or not, but I know the end of the season mm-hmm. with either a three or four game series yeah. against each other. So, I mean, there's a lot that could, could they be gain on the them? Line. Sure. Sure. They can catch them. Is it going to be easy? No. The, we know from at this point, nobody can doubt that the Rays can't keep a lead. We've seen them do it for how many years? The. And so, could they keep the lead? Sure. Could the Yankees catch them? Sure. It's it's going to be one of the that'll be one of the more fun ones to watch down the stretch. Because if we move to the move to the Central for a second, like that one's that one's pretty locked up, right? Like yep. the, the White Sox, even though they're having cold streak, like no one's catching the White Sox, right? So that one you don't have to pay too much attention to that because Chicago's in. And I'll have a comment on the White Sox and an MVP uh, uh, thing I want to talk about when we get there too. Okay. Uh, but the last thing on the, the AL East is, uh, here's, I said this before we started the podcast, one of the things that I love about baseball is the marathon 162-game season. There have been talk over the years, it still creeps up when you think of changes to games and, and what can be done, of shortening that to like 140 games or so. And I've always been a proponent of saying, leave it as is, because it allows true talent to eventually win out. Uh, this Since the the midway point of the season, uh, you can look and see that the, the Boston Red Sox have been overperforming uh, their numbers. Uh, their starting pitching should not be that good. The advanced stats were saying they're not that good. Uh, well, guess what's happened now? Uh, over the course of the last uh, uh, 30 games or so, we've seen 
that exactly start to take place despite Chris Sale coming back and looking decent for a couple of starts, uh, in which case you could be looking at a Chris Sale versus a Garrett Cole uh, one-game uh, playoff. I uh, would love to see that. Uh, but you have a team that is the pitching staff is not allowing them to go on on win streaks that they need to keep up with the two other teams that are surging at this point. So they're starting to, to slide, which is what happens over the course of 162 games. Uh, so I've always been a, phone, uh, a proponent of that. But two questions for you for wrapping up the AL East coverage. Number one is, do you think Boston can snap out of this to get, again, this was a team that was uh, ahead of the uh, first place in the division just a couple of weeks ago. So the first one is, can you see uh, Boston coming back? And then we need to at least mention the, the Toronto Blue Jays of they are now approaching New York Mets territory of having a good team on paper. And the, the numbers look good. They have a 116-plus uh, run differential. I don't get the Blue Jays at all. But they're, they're, they're four and a half back of the, the wild card, uh, and they are that much more, almost like 10 games, 13 games back uh, of the... Uh, of the division. They're 3-7 right. and seven in their last 10. On paper, this is an elite team. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how, how do we... <laughs> so the two questions, Boston, can they come back? Or is this... is Have they... Like, can they at least hold on to the second wild card spot? Uh, or are they... are they? Would you call them done? Are you willing to call them uh, done at this point? And what to make of the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, Boston rotation still so bad. It's... Chris Dale's really good. Eduardo Rodriguez is okay. Nate Valdi is fine. Nick Pavetta is terrible. They should pitch Tanner Houck. I don't know why they don't. Garrett Richards has been moved to the bullpen. And so it's just so reliant on their offense. It is so reliant on their offense. And it's a very good offense, right? It's been a great offense all season, but I just don't see them. I don't think they can keep that spot. Now, as for Toronto, <laughs> I don't, I don't get that team at all. Like, I'm, at this point, you could tell me that they have the best starting rotation in that division. I've said that. Like, I, between Robbie Ray should win the American League Cy Young Award. I can't believe I'm saying that, but he probably deserves to win the American League Cy Young Award. I mentioned before we started that Eno Saris described it on one of the podcasts I listened to as this is that Blake Snell Cy Young year, right? And that could be this year, too, because suddenly when you get rid of the strikeouts, you can have years like this when you have stuff like those guys. And he's doing that. And Buster, uh, Buster Olney has said the pitcher that is most likely to be paid in the offseason is Robbie Ray. And then I, I guarantee you a year from then we'll be saying the pitcher who is now the most colossally bad contract in Major League Baseball will be Robbie Ray. You can strike lightning in a bottle as far as having a career year. Again, for a team, true talent wins out. Players, you can have career years. When all of a sudden the, uh, the, the walks are, no one has doubted his stuff. It's been the control issue. Uh, and I love the comparison to Blake Snell because that's exactly it. Uh, because of, could you see Robbie Ray now doing the rest of Blake Snell, uh, the rest of his career, 100%? Uh, so I would not touch him with a 10-foot pole in the offseason. Someone's going to pay him handsomely. You're looking at a, potentially at his age, you're looking at a $100 million contract. Oh, yeah. Uh, and oh, yeah. would you be willing to bet your, because essentially you're betting your job on Robbie Ray performing to at least 80% of that contract. I wouldn't bet my job on no, him. No way. I you can't. I said you can't trust that he's suddenly that he has suddenly figured out to walk two guys per nine innings after it's been seven, eight per nine innings, and he's still doing what he he always gives up home runs. He's still doing that this year. That's still that hasn't really changed. It's just there's a lot of solo home runs instead of the routine three. 
grand three run home runs, grand slams. Like I saw plenty of that in the Arizona days. But look, I'm going to give him all the credit for this year. He's certainly doing it, and yeah, he's doing it this year. No question. Rios and Ryu and Manoa, like they should have the best rotation in that division. But I watched them lose one to nothing the other day. I watched. I heard them lose yesterday. They got swept by Detroit. Actually, no, it was the Nationals who swept them. Like a team that should be good cannot be getting swept by the Washington Nationals. And I like the Mets is a good comparison. Actually, it's a lot of things that. On paper, it should work a lot better than it has, and it just isn't working right now, and I don't know. The sad part is I see someone like the Cincinnati Reds or Los Angeles Angels throwing stacks of cash at him, and that's another contract gone wrong when, again, you can see it coming. That would be a total Uh, Angels move. Yep, you you just see it it coming because a lot of teams will stay out of it, uh, but uh, if I don't know who his agent is, but enough to, to drive up enough that the Angels would be thinking they could get a quote-unquote bargain for like a four-year, $100 million contract and then be saddled with that deal. Uh, that's exactly what I, I see coming. We'll see if uh, if right or wrong. Uh, but as we move Hold to— on. I want to say one thing yeah. quickly about the AL East because you mentioned saddled with that deal. Chris Davis, speaking of massively overpaid deals, he retired in the last two weeks, so— uh, is probably the last massive slugger deal we'll ever. Well, Giancarlo Stanton is gonna he has to eat That's that one. one. Up. But Stanton and Chris Davis are like the last massive slugger deals we'll ever see. And you know he had what three two years where he was great, fifty three home runs and forty some home runs, and got paid. And congratulations, Chris Davis, you got that contract. I know that Baltimore fan like it certainly crippled Baltimore for a few years, but you did it and. He retired, and it's been obviously a rough last few years. But eventually, the hole in the swing mm-hmm. is the undoing. You cannot sustain like thirty percent strikeout rate for long term, or even, or at least it's you have a shorter career arc, yes, uh, than others. Uh, and so that would be the same concern. Joey Gallo is amazing. Uh, he walks a ton. He hits a ton of home runs. It's the perfect ballpark for him. So that that one makes a ton of sense. But he's the one that I could see getting a similar type of contract. And then bottoming out the second half of that deal. Yeah, they're a little di- there's, there's certainly similarities. Uh, his they're a little his defense is he's, much better by all yeah, means. I, I would your Gold Glove level defender. Yeah, whereas like Stanton and Chris Davis were like utility players, like DHs, yeah. and he'll know. at least provide defensive value. But again, someone who it, it's weird. He's got the a good batting eye because he walks a ton. Mm-hmm. But I, I always get Larry of anyone. Swing. Yeah, that was big uppercut. Like Prince Fielder, like his yeah. was also a neck thing too. That, but yep. like you see him where they, they can really shine for a while and then it can really burn up in a hurry. But well, I don't know who if I can think of a really good comparison to Chris Davis now because it was such a two-year stretch where of greatness followed by you know, lucky to touch the Mendoza line. We're talking 168 average. What was it last year? Wasn't it 0 for 56 he started in the weird 2020 year? I think it was 0 for 56 or something and – but, you know, I said, you got your $180 million to go retire on, so congratulations to you, Chris Davis. Yeah, he, you earned it. He's not uh, not crying about anything, that's for sure. Uh, for the Baltimore best uh, moment <laughs> uh, of the week, uh, we they're not 18-game-in-a-row losing bad. And the streak may go on for a little while. You know, this is Now, Arizona Diamondbacks were the ones that were had that streak going, and Baltimore could surpass it at this point. They're not that bad. I, I, I've watched them enough by watching AL East teams. Like, there's talent to build around there. We talked about Ryan uh, Mountcastle could be in the contender for the AL Rookie of the Year. He's performed well. Uh, Trey Mancini is a very good player. 
Uh, they have some other role players that are there. Baltimore does have now uh, Baseball America with their midseason update has moved Baltimore into the number one spot yeah. uh, with a, a frontline catcher who has now in tri- uh, made his AAA debut in the last couple of weeks here. So there's talent that's coming. John Means, I, I want to see him next year because he had such a good start to the year, then got injured, and then he hasn't looked the same since. Uh, but there's talent there. Like I, This is one where, again, depending upon what they do here, uh, and what I want them to, what I want to see them do is the, is the Miami Marlins approach. Go find those veterans on one-year deal, spend for, for that, and hopefully get something that's uh, a nice mix to make you competitive for the year as you bring up your, your young kids. Yeah, they had to find the bridge, right? Like the yep. Miami Marlins yep. bridge. That's what they need. Because you're right, there there are good players on this team. Like Cedric Mullins was the first guy to go 2020 yeah, and I'm this sorry, year. I, like, I shouldn't even. Um, I should have led with that yeah, for, like, by all means. There are triple M's at the top there: Mullins, Mancini, and Mountcastle. Like that's a good top of rotate, like a top of the line to lineup to build off of. And now you, you just got to fill that it out. Top three uh, in uh, in at least a debate or where you're not going to be laughed out of the building for best top three lineup uh, in the American League. Like that's going to at least be in the yeah. conversation with how they've performed this year. Yeah, but, you know, you get a little farther down and yeah. Richie Martin's playing shortstop and yeah. DJ Stewart. I don't know if you've seen DJ Stewart play left field, but it is it's tough. It looks pretty bad out there. So, uh, I don't know. It, it's a good – it's a better team than what are they currently sitting at here. We're at uh, 38 and 85 and looking to lose 100 games for – I think it would be the – obviously not last year, but I think it was three years in a row then. But I – it does not feel as bad as Pittsburgh. It does not feel as bad as it does not feel like I'll take Baltimore over Colorado a million times over. Yeah. For the, you think of all the teams that are at the bottom, the bottom feeders, I would pick Baltimore over any of them. Uh, the, the minor league system that's, yeah. that's there. The, the on uh, field talent, the, the key players that are cornerstone pieces that you have, I don't, they are one year away, in my opinion, of being a 500 team. They have that capability. Now, again, you can make bad uh, free agent moves, things within it. They need pitching. By all means, they need pitching. Uh, but there's a there's a path to a 500 team in one year's time. I mean, look at the Detroit Tigers. Uh, yeah. you see, look at what they're doing now the second half of this year. They are following that trajectory. It's uh, They have been a more competitive team. I wish the Rays would have. They have seven games against them yet this year. Uh, I wish they would have played them at the beginning of the year versus now. Uh, that is a, a 500 team that is on that has the outside chance of passing the Indians for second in the division. Yeah, that's a uh, move to that division here. So the White Sox have a nine-and-a-half game lead on Cleveland. I said, that that's not getting caught. It doesn't matter. I would be shocked if that even gets close. But Cleveland is 61-61, and 61, and then, yeah, Detroit 60-66, and 66, and scary good on offense, I think, and better pitching than people give them credit for. And we said, like, Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal and Matt Manning looked capable the other day when I watched him, so that's good because he didn't earlier in the year. And uh, Detroit's got a nice rebuild going now all of a sudden. You see momentum. You see a path forward. Kansas City's won three in a row. Uh, Brad, Brad, there's still a chance that they make the playoffs. It is .001 according to fan graphs. So, so you're saying there's a chance. Mondesi still not back. That was That's the one that I'm obviously going to eat crow on. And I said they thought they'd be a wild card, and they, they weren't, but... I was right. Minnesota was bad. Minnesota's still really bad at baseball, and yeah, I don't, I don't know about that team. But uh. the you mentioned like the laughable bad defense uh, by the Baltimore left fielder DJ Stewart, Eloy Jimenez. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I watched the three game series with him and the Rays. Him in left field, like he gave up on so many. Like there was, uh, again, uh, if you want to make the the Tampa Bay. Uh, 
uh, joke, you know, the, the attendance issues that have been there. There's always more yeah. opposing fans than there are home fans. It's time to move that stadium 100%. Uh, but the, the White Sox fans that were there in left field after the second misplay in the same game, they started booing him. They, they razzed him the rest of the game. It was, it was bad. It was hold-your-nose bad defense where he's not getting reads. Now, again, part of it is not in your own park. I get it, but this is a DH. He, he is not. He should not be in the field. I, that's Tony LaRusso's weird management too, though, right? Like, why isn't he at DH? I don't get why he's not at DH. Andrew Vaughn was not good in left field when he was playing, but, but he was passable. But he was like better than El- Eloy Jimenez should be a DH, and he would be oh, yeah. a really good one, right? Like, yeah, he would be an excellent His DH. Bat. No, now this is not knocking him overall <laughs> as a uh, a championship con- uh, level player. Like, no. his bat is <laughs> is very very good. Uh, but again, it goes into and and let's talk about that with the White Sox. You have the curious case. Of Tony Larusa, we said it from the beginning. It was going to be buckle up because the theatrics are going to be interesting, uh, and it happened. Uh, uh, Tim Anderson has saved his butt on so many occasions this year the because the the Friday game they were up by like four or five runs. The Rays started making a comeback, uh, and they bring in Kimbrel, and Kimbrel was shaky, but he was like getting his way through it. They they take him out. Uh, Larusa takes him out after getting two outs. And you could tell Kimbrough was pissed. Uh, and because there was like three lefties or like a couple lefties and then the righties that were involved, it was a better matchup to go to Aaron Bummer. Except the race could switch from Brandon Lau and put Randy, Arosa, uh, Randy Rosarina in uh, to hit, who's been scorching hot versus left-handed pitching. Uh, and exactly what anyone saw coming, because even the Rays announcers were scratching their head at that one. Uh, the Rays come back, they go up by one. Uh, Tim Anderson hits a, a game tying uh, shot in the bottom or in the top of the ninth, ends up sending it into extra innings as a result, and the White Sox eke it out in eleven ga- in eleven innings. They were that close to being swept. It was and all because of Larusa. <laughs> yep. That it was one hundred percent a managerial move, that a managerial mistake. Uh, and this isn't the first time. And I what I didn't understand was why would you even pick up Kimbrel if you're going to be- behave that way. The guy was one of the best closers uh, in baseball at the time. You decide, okay, you know, you have the eighth inning locked up with the ninth inning with Hendricks. But then you don't even trust him to get the three outs. You play matchup baseball with him. Like, what's the point? I don't know what he's doing. I never know what Tony LaRusse is doing with that team. It just, I said, it's felt ever since the Yerman Mercedes thing, it's always felt like they win in spite of Tony LaRusse. And they keep doing it, right? They're, well, don't talk it. about the top, like, offense at the top of the lineup in, in baseball. Like, it is Tim Anderson, Robert, Abreu, Jimenez, like that top four. And they're, I think Grandal's supposed to be back this week, too. Yep, so he's coming back, and that's that's needed because the the problem with them is the seven, the seven to nine spot in their lineup is the underbelly. Yep, and, that's, uh, and they get guys back from injury, that changes that, and that team then becomes different. It will make a major impact. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Like, they need Grandal back. I, I know Madrigal's off for the year or whatever, but some of that, like Adam Engel even, like Lurie Garcia, yep. some of those type of guys, they need those guys to play. I know Cesar Hernandez is playing second. I don't know how he's been doing, but. Bad. Bad? <laughs> uh, hey, uh, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn oh, right now. Nice. And it, now, it might be just be a cold yeah. streak. I haven't, I haven't watched enough to uh, to see everything, but right now he's uh, ice cold. So get get Grandal back, get Rodan back. Like that's, that's still one of the better teams in baseball. Oh, yeah. that, that could very easily get but, on a hot streak and win this thing. But, but they are such a... Uh, God, how do I want to say that they they're so close to blowing up, uh, like they could win it all, or yep. they can completely melt down. Where again, you say 
players have been winning, have been doing things in spite of him, and they've been winning. What happens when that stops? What happens mm-hmm. when his managerial mistakes cost them the playoffs? Yeah. These players will not handle that. Uh, the, he'll be gone in one year. If that's exactly how it goes, you can bank it right now. He will not be back. Otherwise, they're going to have to trade Tim Anderson and others because they'll say, I'm not playing for him anymore. They should. They will refuse. And it is a razor-thin margin from winning a championship or having a complete explosion uh, in Chicago. Uh, and that's what I wanted to mention the other part with Tim Anderson. He needs to get AL MVP consideration. Uh, he has been that type of impact player, making impact uh, moves overall. You're talking about a batting title champion uh, who's done that. You're talking about a guy, a spark plug at the top, who more than Jose Abreu has been the uh, the energy spark plug, I'd say the leader of that team. Now, again, I'm only seeing part of it. I'm not a, a White Sox fan. I haven't watched enough games to make a someone who's a, is a fan might say, hey, I, I don't agree with that. But that's my assessment from what I've seen. Uh, and I know that there's already two big players there. but So I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I'm saying I think he at least deserves to be in the conversation. He's a multiple-time batting champ, right? We've I love Tim Anderson. I think he's great, but, yeah, he's going to have a hard time. He's looking up at Shoy Otani and uh, Vlad Guerrero. But, yeah, he could very easily finish third, and I think he deserves some votes too. I'm Let's go to, west. Oh. Let me just quickly pull up his, his numbers, and we can, sure. uh, we can head west. Uh, when I'm looking at everything here in uh, – not a, not an on base percentage guy, uh, but a little bit of everything, and he's his average is a little bit lower than than what it has been uh, in the past. But uh, three hundred three average, only a three thirty on base percentage, uh, but he's he's an outside shot looking in of a twenty twenty season. I think he's going to finish a couple home runs short of that, unless he gets on a on a tear. Uh, but he's he's been a very impactful player. Uh, for that team, and I know Jose Abreu gets more of the the love than he does overall when it comes to MVP consideration, but I think Anderson is definitely up there. But as we look west, uh, the Oakland A's are free-falling right now. Yeah, Most streaky team in Major League Baseball, if we go back to the beginning of the year. Yes, they are the streaky. And I've said, I've never really had a whole lot of belief in Oakland, and I was starting to think, oh, maybe this is it, but... I still see Oakland finishing behind the Yankees and the Red Sox. So I eh. here here's the problem. If you look at all of the teams that are in contention, uh, right now the, the one thing we didn't mention about the White Sox when it comes to uh, their numbers versus teams above 500, the White Sox are 27 and 31. That needs to change if they actually want to go deep in the playoffs. That's the, the big question right now that I know that Chicago media has been looking at. But the team who's done worse of any of the teams being mentioned in playoff consideration, Oakland is twenty-eight and thirty-eight. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, stay in contention long for the course of a full season if that doesn't change. Their pitching is, and then so their pitching is not very good anyway. And then Frankie Montas takes a liner off the face; he's out for the year. So they're they're rolling out Sean Manaya, who's been scuffling to say the least the last couple weeks. Frankie Montas, and then Paul Blackburn, Cole Irvin, and James Caprillion. Like, it's okay, but it's not good enough. And I will say, like, on a heater, I if we would have done it a couple weeks ago, I had Starling Marte on here, and he's going to have one of the more fascinating, like, free agent off-seasons because we talk about, like, guys who rely specifically on their speed, and you were talking about, you know, how do people age? Well, he's 32, and he was at three, 32 stolen bases with a 325 average, but 
how long until his wheels slow down just a little bit. And instead of having a 330 batting average, he's hitting 260, you know. So I, it'll be interesting. I'm not saying that he's going to drop off a cliff, but that one's going to be interesting to watch, I think. Has there been anyone, as you mentioned that, because I know that uh, the Nelson Cruz impact has been there just as far as deepening the lineup, but he himself, he's been cold. This was a guy who batted over 300 in Minnesota who's been uh, batting barely over 200 right now uh, with the Rays. Think of the, the players who've come and, and uh, at the trading deadline. Has anyone actually been uh, that you could even consider on a heater from the impact moves that have been made? Let's see if I can pull up. So... I know Marte was playing. Yeah, Marte has been really good. So since he got to Oakland, he's hitting 358 with go. two home runs, 14 and 17 stolen bases. So he's running wild out there. I said he's at 39 steals now for this season. Never thought of teams. him as being that much of a, uh, a stolen His, guy who's going to hit like you know maybe 2020 candidate, but he's going on a whole different level from the speed side. And now I said he's 32 years old. So his his high was back in 2016. He had 41. So now suddenly, you know, he looks like he's going to beat that. And they had to say, like, is he not slowing down? I don't know. It'll be interesting to here's, see. His here's another agency. Blake Snell uh, uh, example of someone who's uh, performing so well that he's got to get paid come this offseason. <laughs> who's going to pay him? That's I've always thought he was the one I always thought would make sense for either Houston in center field or the Yankees in center field and move Joey Gallo to a corner. But now they have so many weird moving parts there that it doesn't fit as well as it did. But. He is playing himself into a four-year deal. Yeah, and that's uh, and another one. I would be scared. Like you're talking uh, two, two years, I, two years fine, gone. but then uh, it doesn't take much for those speed guys to slow down a little bit, and then suddenly that three thirty is no longer three thirty. But I'm, I'm especially uh, down the stretch. If if he performs well, you're looking at a four year, sixty million to seventy five million range. Uh, depending upon how many are competing for his services. It's hard to find center fielders right now, uh, and there's teams that will be looking. Uh, he has a chance to, to make bank on that, and again, a contract that you will most likely be regretting halfway in. We should talk about the top of the division, though. Like Houston is really good still. We think that Houston is very much a in competition to have the best record in the American League. At least I, I think I do. I think I'm talking for you. Oh, absolutely. Right now, they are a more complete team than Tampa Bay. I'll, I'll 100% say that. They have uh, their offense... I guess it's it's taken me a little bit of time to get used to the, the Rays' offense to be legitimate, uh, but there's more proven players, more playoff-proven offensive players with the Houston Astros, and they have been doing very well. They're 73-51, and 51, but their expected win-loss record is 80-44. and 44. Uh, So they should, they're playing as if they are the best team in the American League. The record doesn't quite show it yet, uh, but that's, to me, that's the team to beat in the American League. And they get Alex Bregman is supposed to come back this week, and Kyle Tucker's on the COVID aisle. I don't know. It's just like Nelson Cruz. I don't know how bad it is, but I know there was talk that at least both of them should be back soon. And yeah, I I just love their, their team is the one that like their pitching is really good, and it's a lot of guys that you know Zach Greinke is obviously a former Cy Young winner, and but then Lance McCullers they've gotten good production out of Fran Valdez, Luis Garcia. I didn't like. That is an outside shot. We were talking before we started about AL Rookie of the Years. Like, Luis Garcia, just out of nowhere, is 9-6 and six with, uh, where are we at here, 116 innings, 137 strikeouts to 36 walks. Like, a unheralded prospect who came out of nowhere and put that up for him. So, I think Oak, or Houston's certainly a team to watch out for. The only other team we should mention there, like, Seattle's still t- almost 10 games above 500. Nine games above 500, and... Uh, you know, I think we all think that it's going to drop off, but it isn't yet. They are, again, negative 62 
run differential. And here, here's the debate. They are uh, advanced stats say they are uh, playing above their head still. Their expected win loss is 56 and 69. Uh, so that is a stark difference <laughs> from a 67 and, and 58. So essentially, it's flip flopped uh, for their one loss record. So I don't know what to to make of that at this point. Uh, I still so like Seattle it's, next year. I still like Seattle oh, yeah. next year. Long term, uh, there's a lot to like with what they're doing. And we mentioned Logan Gilbert as another uh, rookie of the year candidate. Uh, he has the uh, the makings of an ace all over him at this point. I love Ty France. Ty France is one of my favorite players yeah. in baseball right now. And uh, just red hot, 15 home runs. He's at 292. So uh, the only question, the question with Seattle is still, What's going on with Jared Kelnick now? We are now uh, 200 at bats into this, which is, you know, it's still a third of a season here, but we're at 141 with a 236 on base percentage. Now, I don't know. He's 21 years old. I'm not writing Jared Kelnick off. Like, I, it's not going to happen. For two years, I'm not going to write Jared Kelnick off. But it's not a super small sample anymore. It is a, it's there. After one month's time, Wanda Franco figured it out, and he's now tearing up uh, baseball. Everyone's still waiting for uh, Jared Kelenic to do that. Now, again, uh, you can always point out, like, Mike Trout's first year wasn't that grand. Like, there's you, you don't want to rush to judgment with it. Player development is always different with each player. Uh, but the key question, the key concern is how they handle his lack of major league success because you, you don't want it to get to the point where a change of scenery is needed in order for him to try to reach his ceiling. And that's getting, it's not a concern yet, but it's something in the back of the mind. Has to be at this point. Should we stay in the West and go to the NL, or should we go back to the NL and go to the East? Why don't we go to the East where I can eat some crow? Uh, I've been able to hold out so long uh, to the year, uh, and right now before I eat that crow, I'm going to blame the New York Mets. I'm going to blame the Philadelphia Phillies uh, for uh continuing to be the most inconsistent and frustrating teams in Major League Baseball and making me look bad uh, because it's your fault. It really is. Uh, Atlanta, if as much as the Yankees have been on a heater themselves with winners of nine straight, Atlanta is doing the same thing, and something's got to give here soon because those are the two teams facing off in a two-game uh, uh, set this week. Uh, so that's going to be a fun series to see the two hottest teams in Major League Baseball going against each other. Uh, but because of that nine-game win, uh, winning streak, uh, they have now overtaken. I'm trying to find the next team, 63. What, it's now five games? Five, five and a, Five and a half game lead? Uh, in the division, when two weeks ago uh, this team was still struggling to be like above 500, they're like maybe one to, one to three games above 500. Well, Atlanta's back. You can call it that. It's now there, and the rest of the division is saying, "Here you go." They're giving it to them on a silver platter, not without giving them credit. I don't want to say that is not because Atlanta's doing well because they are. Uh, this is this is more of what you expected the team to do. Uh, I just predicted a funk that I was two-thirds of the season through being accurate on, uh, but that prediction is now gone, and I'm more than happy to eat crow on, on that one, watching how well they've been performing despite all of the adversities uh, that they have faced. And it's not luck. Uh, their expected win-loss is 71-53, and 53, so they're still underperforming their overall numbers. They're a plus-92 run differential. Uh, Atlanta is now fully back as being a contending team looking like a division winner. Uh, the question is, do they have enough pitching uh, yep. from what's been happening? And uh, Tuki uh, Toussaint is one of the big uh, reasons for that. Yeah, Toussaint's come back. He's looked really good lately. He's always been kind of inconsistent where you'll see five, six dominant innings and like 
then the blowups are actually we had to mention we we missed him in the AL Central. Tristan McKenzie looks unbelievable right now for Cleveland. That's at least one I got right telling you, yeah, hey, we bid were, on this we guy. We were right on that. Tristan McKenzie almost threw a perfect game the day after uh Taylor's perfect game or no hitter, and he almost threw a perfect game and he's been great in months. But uh yeah, it's the same question with Atlanta that was there last year. Now they they added Charlie Morton, right? And he's been good. And Drew Smiley's been I think he's won seven straight decisions recently after kind of having a cold start to the season. And Max Freed the other day pitched a complete game two hitter. So it's better than last year, but it's still a team that's they're gonna win because of their offense, right? Like that is still where they're based around. And is Ian Anderson hurt? Ian Anderson is hurt. Yes. Ian Anderson is hurt. Uh, Tucker, Mike Soroka is still hurt. I think Ian Anderson's his shoulder. Mike Soroka's got his Achilles thing. Who was the other one that they had? Tucker Davidson is hurt. So they got injuries. But they're still looking at four strong right now. Yeah. If the veterans can uh, hold on, uh, Drew Smiley and Charlie Morton, you put Max Fried and, and Tuki Dusan uh, together with that, that's a good enough uh, rotation, playoff rotation right there. And they're... It's, yes, because of the fact that their lineup is really good. Yes. Ozzy Albies is looking like Ozzy Albies. And Freddie, Freddie Freeman, Freeman, you mentioned, yeah. like, could he defend his MVP? Yep, that's possible. He's also got to beat Austin Riley on his own team, who's cut his strikeout rate way down. And I said, I think when we talked the trades, we said, you know, clearly the Dodgers were the best. And I said, I think the Braves did second best at this. And all those, like, Jorge Soler's working. And... Uh, they revamped their entire outfield. Yeah, Jack Peterson and Adam Duvall is in there now, and it's working well. We haven't even Rosario's still hurt, so he should be back here soon. And yeah, they they they're definitely the team to beat in the National League East, and I don't think they're getting caught by the Phillies are doing their weird thing where their bullpen blows too many games and they are very inconsistent. The Mets, their own owner Steve Cohen, called yeah. them out for not having the on base skills they need. And Lindor was fine with it. I I said, like, yes, he's the owner. He can do it. Go for it. You want to do it. I'm just not sure what good it did. Like, I'm sure they knew they weren't playing well. We're talking about the debate between right to say versus wise to say. Uh, he has the right to say it. He spent a lot of money, uh, and he put his stamp on, on this team. He made the uh, the splashes he wanted. He was uh, He's always been vocal on Twitter. Uh, as an owner, like you guys say, like, yeah, so who should we get at the trading deadline, right? He's, he's doing stuff with fans, which is kind of neat. It's nice to have that engagement, but it's a double-edged sword. You can do that too much because ultimately uh, you want your, the, the players uh, to feel supported. Uh, but when you're underperforming expectations, this is what bosses do, right? So uh, it, it's hard to say, again, did it do any good? Debatable. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I don't... It's not uh, Tony Larusa decision bad, no. uh, and uh, ultimately, and pe- people management. There's different styles, uh, and he's doing the more confrontational style for for this one to under underperforming expectations. And if this was any other team but the Mets, I would probably have more pushback to it. But this is the team that has perpetually underperformed uh, what their on paper uh, talent is. And so I, I kind of understand it. Again, I don't know if it necessarily, what good did it do? Eh, I, I'm not sure if it is, but I, I understand the, the the venting. And we're a uh, Mets update. We're still waiting for Jacob DeGrom, and I don't think it's happening anytime soon at this point. I'm not sure the we're going to see him this that year. that was there, I, I, I doubt, unless they go on a hot streak themselves, I don't think we see him anymore this year. And that question goes for Mike Trout. You know, and we're going back yeah. AL West, but the uh, he's, he's still hopeful that he's going to play. He wants to get back out there. Uh, but it's the injury that keeps going on that's tanked your fantasy season and uh, uh, tanking uh, uh, 
any Angels playoff hopes within it, but they needed pitching more than they needed him anyways. But you can't lose that production and expect to compete. Uh, did you have to say anything about Washington or Miami? No, the I'm trying to see where Miami is because they've been... I mean, it's 51 and 74. They lost seven straight games. They are calling up their big-time prospect to pitch yeah. Wednesday. Edward Cabrera yeah. got the call. I saw that. So that's the, if you're a Miami fan, that is your big update is you get to see your next pitching superstar come up. I would be more than happy to be GM of the Baltimore Orioles or the Miami Marlins. Uh, yes, those are because good ones. those are the teams that have a chance to move up and fast. More so, Miami. Again, they have underperformed what they should be. Their expected win loss record is fifty nine and sixty six. This is close to a five hundred team uh, on on paper. They need more offense, and they have the pitching to go get it in the off season. They're the team I'm most intrigued by because they have pitching for miles. Uh, they have uh, uh, they're despite all the on talents, despite losing Sisto Sanchez, who, again, if he comes back healthy, that's a huge uh, uh, addition there. You already still have a top prospect phenom that you're bringing up now that uh, at least to get his feet wet, could he be part of the the answer next year already uh, within it? Like, we'll find out starting uh, uh, this week. But uh, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Taylor Rogers, like I mean, they have enough starting pitching to use that and go – get help on their offense. And I still see eventually, or at least I would love to see, an Austin Meadows, Vidal Brujan for Sandy Alcantara uh, deal uh, that benefits both sides. Uh, and I think something like that, whether it's the Rays or someone else, uh, the Marlins are going to be one of the most impactful trading teams in the offseason, and I see a winning record for them next year. Oh, I could see that. That, that'll be something to watch in the offseason because we got to see what they're going to add. But, yeah, come on. you got a lot of prospects to work with down there, and you're going to yep. have a lot of calls, I'm sure, this offseason. Yep. Moving to the Central, it is a two-team race, and uh, they play each other to start this week. The Brewers and the Reds have a three-game series starting tomorrow. I'm hoping to go on Thursday. We'll see. But uh, they're both playing really good baseball right now. Both of them are 7-3 and three in their last 10, and the Brewers – Freddie Peralta hit the IL with a shoulder injury, which it does not sound, I think it's more of a Dodgers thing where they're going to limit the innings of Freddie Peralta, which they were already doing anyways. I don't think it sounds that devastating. Now, Eduardo Escobar left yesterday's game with a hamstring injury. That one looked a little worse, but Vogelbach should be back soon, I think. So as far as the Brewers go, Brewers fans, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm a Brewers fan. I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. They are... Uh, clearly one of the uh, the top teams here. They they have continued to perform strong. And what's encouraging is uh, you, we know about the pitching, and, and that's there. And they've started to develop. In, they needed secondary options after uh, after uh, 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 Hader and uh, I'm thinking the bullpen. for bullpen. The bullpen. They, they needed a seventh inning guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they've started to get better options with that. That has been coming around, which is key. Uh, but that offense has been getting better throughout the year. From Willie Adamas being the the most impactful trade of the season. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, hitting out of his mind at this point, and uh, great to, to see that, uh, especially as a Rays fan. Love to see him doing well there. Uh, the in-season moves that they kept trying to churn through and find somebody uh, from the... Like, I, I still liked Rowdy Tellez. I still think that there's, uh, in a split role, uh, he's going to be a, a chance to play a, a key role there for adding offense. Eduardo Escobar, uh, another a good uh, pickup anyways. I haven't seen his numbers since he's been there. Has he performed decent? 
Yeah, he's pretty good. I'll check officially what we're uh, at again, here, you, you have uh, enough pieces again. They were lacking that, and they have made moves. I would say uh, executive of the year. We started talking about different awards that way. I don't see how you don't look at the uh, the Brewers. Yeah, absolutely, uh, for the best in-season moves. And remember, this was a guy who was questioned big time for the shortstop stuff he did at the beginning of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he has corrected that and then some. Uh, and, you know, he created holes along the way, right? You picked up a Willie Adamas, but then you hurt the strength of the bullpen. And so he's gone through and tried to find ways to do that and continue to upgrade the offense. I love what he has done uh, for a uh, small market team uh, that very much has World Series hopes. Escobar, since he's got there, has four doubles, two triples, two homers, hitting 280. Now I said he had the hamstring that'll, injury, that'll but yeah. That'll play. Yeah, that'll play. Yeah, that'll work. And Christian Yelich had a two-home run game first in two seasons, and if, if Christian Yelich were to that's get the key. Not, that's even, the not even back to himself, but 80%. even 80% of yep. it, that's that's how the Brewers get really hot and win this thing yet. So keep tuned in because it looked like Cody Bellinger was getting out of it a couple weeks ago, and uh, he wasn't. But if Christian Yelich can get back to that level, then, then the Brewers are going to – have a very nice end of the season, I think. But they got to stay ahead of the Reds. I said the Reds have won four in a row. They're very much in this race. They are now the leader. Uh, no, second in the wild card. They are ahead of the – I always forget that there's I, – I just automatically forget one of the wild cards in the National League because it's going to be the Giants and the Dodgers. But they've passed the Padres, and uh, they – Now one game ahead. And they are playing very well. Now Jesse Winker hit the aisle for them, but you mentioned Tyler Naquin getting pretty good production. He had a couple home runs this weekend I saw – and I've been pretty impressed with the Reds lately. I, I said I want to go see them in person the other day, but the Reds have been getting, as usual, the offense is really good, but the pitching, like Vladimir Gutierrez has, I think, four quality starts in a row, I heard. So it's really good. Luis Castillo looks better, and Tyler Molly and Sonny Gray. So it's always been a team that I think we kind of liked, and yep. they, they always kind of underperformed last year, and they made the playoffs. But they're looking really good the last couple months here. Here's what I equate this upcoming series to, uh, and that's, remember last year when the Padres had to go up against the Dodgers at about mm-hmm. this point in the year, and it was a, it was a test series. It's like a one-game difference, I think, yeah. Yep. Now, again, obviously the, the Brewers are better win-loss-wise, but again, it's that record is, uh, other than helping for home field advantage and the keys that come with winning the division, as far as talent level right now, it's that record is irrelevant because when you face them in a, if it's a full series in the playoffs, that record won't matter. It's going to matter who's where are you at right now, uh, and so this is going to be a feeling out series. Uh, the Brewers will be able to put it in their head that yep, there's a, a mile difference between the two. We got this, or this will now be in the back of their minds uh, with how how well do the Reds play in this series? Because last year the Dodgers made that statement: "You're good, but you're not this good." Mm-hmm. And that was a statement series that I still remember. And so I think this has the chance to be that. Uh, if you want to talk about a momentum builder, uh, this will be a huge series for the Reds to say, hey, we're, we can hang with this. Uh, we can do some damage here. Uh, this series it has the potential for that type of momentum and that type of statement. So I'm curious to see how that, how that goes. Again, it, nothing is won or lost on this series, but it, it does have a chance to be a statement. And uh, I'm curious to see how that one that one goes. And all the matchups, at least the early matchups, are lining up. Tyler Molly versus Corbin Burns. Luis Castillo versus Brandon Woodruff. And Sonny Gray, I think it's Brett Anderson that's going to pitch the last game. But at least those first two, like, those are those are the pitching matchups to watch. And 
It's and, impressive. Actually, the- and this is the game, I mean, this is a series you want to see, right? This is what it's all about. It's going to have a, uh, for Brewers fans, make sure you take the time, watch this. I know we're getting into uh, Packer fever and, and that season getting ready to start and Badgers getting ready to start and all that stuff. But take the time this week, watch this series, because I guarantee you, you will feel a playoff-like atmosphere uh, when you watch this series. Uh, other teams in the Central, the Cardinals are playing better than I thought they would because of Adam Wainwright lately, who would be on a heater with back-to-back complete games with two hits. I, know, I believe they're both against the Pirates, but once again, you've played the team against you. How about the, how bad the Cubs have been? Well, when you trade that that much talent, uh, and, and for a while you saw how many of these players uh, doing uh, – how many of these players uh, uh, doing well in other teams? Right, you have the weekend where like Bryant hits a home run, Bias hits a home run, like everyone's hitting home. Rizzo hits a home run, uh, and you start saying, "Huh, you know, it'd be nice if those guys actually could have done it in the Cubs uniform because then you know maybe that team would have still been contending." But uh, this is a team that, uh, as far as a a morale uh, deflator, uh, that's what the trading deadline was. It made sense. You get it. They're going to do that, but. Uh, it, it, it hurt the the rest of the players that are there, uh, not just from the void of talent, but void of motivation is a little bit more. Uh, they had a yeah, they had a ten game losing streak earlier this month during which they scored thirty seven and there was eighty three scored against them, including a ten to nothing, a seventeen to four, and a fourteen to ten. So and they're two and eight in their last ten losers of three straight. It's it's a it's a tough team like to watch from what from what was and. I, they did the right thing though, right? Like we said, you, you tear it. You're not going to go halfway. You tear it all the way down, and they did. And well, now they're at the bottom. That, that remains to be seen because Wilson Contreras uh, is oh, yeah. the, the centerpiece. That this offseason, what do they do? Because it, I mean, this is now getting to the point where I don't even think they thought they were this bad. Uh, and the level that they're performing, you have to question: Is this should this be a full scale rebuild? Uh, mm-hmm. You you only traded guys that were outside of Javier Baez was the one that still had team control, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Or or was he expiring? I think he was under control. I, I thought he still had more team control. Uh, but everyone else was expiring. Like So you're getting guys that you say, this was the old guard. Now the question is, do you even have any new guard that's worth keeping? Or is oh, there any? He's a free agent through 2022. So one more year. So it's the question is, what do they do with the talent they have from their, uh, 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 their best starting pitcher and their best uh, – uh, positional piece going to be a battle to the basement next year between the Cubs and the Pirates Does the Pirates have a nice lead on them this year but next year we'll see who can finish at the bottom but from the bottom we go to the top team in baseball I believe the first team to 80 wins is the San Francisco Giants out west the first team to base to get to 80 wins but guess what it is they're they're getting their neck is getting warm because the Dodgers are breathing down it because they are also really hot right now they lost yesterday but before that they were on a nine game nine game winning streak if I'm not mistaken so I mean these are two of the best teams in baseball is this the most underrated 80 win team uh, Ever? They, they have the best <laughs> they have the best record in baseball yet again they're getting the same treatment that I watched of uh, the Rays get as far as everyone was assuming that the Yankees and Red Sox are gonna pass and do that and it's been this way the whole year Everyone still assumes the Dodgers are the team in the NL West, but from start to finish, it has been the Giants. But I don't think they are getting the type of national love that their record and their pitching deserves. No, it's not like you said, they're the first 81 team. They don't get the credit they deserve, but here's the thing. I think the Dodgers are going to catch them too still. Like I don't I want to cheer for the like I want to be like, "Oh yeah, the Giants, they got this." Like they're Chris Bryant's been a pretty good acquisition for them. We mentioned like guys that came over. Like you mentioned he hit a couple home runs. They had a 
weird series where they walked off three times against who was it? They were playing Oakland. I think they played Oakland. They walked them off three times, but it still feels like it's just inevitable that the Dodgers catch them. Even though the Dodgers have so many injuries going on, you still feel like the, the giants are going to play well, probably have the second best record in baseball, but the Dodgers are going to catch them in the end. I think the giants are going to hold on for the regular season. But, of course, it comes down to where does got to put your money where your mouth is as far as playoffs because this is a collision course that's coming. It's been that way throughout. The, every time the, the Dodgers get hot like, oh, and uh, they play the Giants, like, okay, is this the time when they finally pass them? And the Giants have withstood every single attempt. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I get it. The Dodgers is still the, until you can say the king is dead, long live the king. They're the defending champs. Uh, and uh, the win-loss record uh, uh, expectations are what should be based upon their numbers. Uh, the Dodgers are at 83 and 42, and San Francisco is at 77 and 47. So you get it. The Dodgers are the team that has been pulling the NBA. We're going to rest guys along the way. We're less concerned with regular season wins and losses. I'm actually still wanting to do very well. Uh, but at this point, here's the question. Remember, a wild card is still a one-game do-or-die and that's not the place where you want to be in baseball. Uh, it's no multiple series because, again, yeah, the, the Dodgers are a better team than Cincinnati because Luis Castillo rattle off a, a complete game shutout with his talent? Absolutely. So at some point, the Dodgers need to turn on, like flip the switch. Uh, it's almost, we're, we're a week away from September. This is where you should be getting into that grind, like, okay, now it's time, now it's time to go. And so I want to see that from the Dodgers in September. If I don't, I'll be questioning it. Uh, because if you are the better team, now is the time to be the better team. I get everything up to this point of trying to uh, not put the, the not fully pedal the metal, uh, but now's the time that you need to. Uh, and if you don't, I'm going to believe you can't. I think they will. I think, yeah. I think within yeah. the next 10 days, I think you see Mookie Betts come back from his hip. We have yet to see Trey Turner and Mookie Betts on the same field at the same time. And that's just going to first Trey Turner has been awesome. Max Muncy's probably a national league MVP candidate too. Like he deserves some love for that. And then I said, I Chris Taylor could replace Cody Bellinger. And then you put Mookie Betts out there and we hear that Clayton Kershaw has issues. And I think they're really babying him with his forearm stuff. I really don't, not all that concerned with it. By mid September, he'll get a couple yeah. of starts to get into a groove and he'll be ready for playoffs. I'm, so I'm not concerned about him. Then you roll out the fact that you're, you're going to have the national league, uh, Cy Young award winner is going to be Walker Bueller at this point. I'm very, I've had a lot of hope for all the brewers for a while, but I think Walker Bueller is going to win that. And then you roll out in a one game series. There is not a better pitcher on planet earth than Max Scherzer. I will. I would take Max Scherzer over anyone. And yeah. then in a four-game series, if you can win, if you can get into a series, if you can roll out some combination of Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, Clayton and Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, uh, okay, <laughs> good luck. But what I will again, one more note for the the Giants. So what I'm going to give them their their credit where credit is due. They have baseball's best record versus teams with a high with a better than 500 record. They are 34 and 25. And as I'm looking down the numbers in the NL, no one else, why Milwaukee's the only other one that has a winning record versus that. The Milwaukee's 27 and 25. Uh, Atlanta is 26 and 30. The Dodgers are 27 and 29. Uh, so the Giants are battle tested. 34 and 25 versus winning record teams. Uh, 
props to them for uh, taking care of business at this point, but it's going to be uh, a fascinating race come September. That's going to heat up uh, and boil over, uh, and we'll see how that how that goes because that's going to be a fun fun race to watch. They play one more series against each other the first week of September, but the Dodgers play nine nine games against the Rockies and six against the Diamondbacks. So uh, I'd, I'd have to pull up the Giants one quick here, but that feels like a lot of wins in those games. We'll see. I suppose we need to mention. Is, oh. I was going to say that uh, I was going to mention are the Padres done? Yeah, that's the team. So then it's always felt like a three team race, right? Like, which is, which is the third team? Well, the Padres just Fernando Tatis came back. He's playing right field for them, which I said I wouldn't have done, but they did. First it. game in the outfield, two home runs, right? I mean, that the bat is so is good. Never, he's unbelievable. I'm not, he's incredible, but you still, well, like, guess what? He can crash into a wall and hurt his shoulder out there. Like, <sighs> Just if the DH comes to baseball next year, mm. does he DH or at least halftime? It'd be well. He's he's always been a terrible shortstop defensively, anyways. So the, the outfield needed to happen. Yeah, I. But I mean, I wouldn't. I I, I kind of see they've, they they really like Nelson Cruz, isn't he a free agent yeah. after this year? They they've had a hard on for Nelson yeah. Cruz for about two years now, wanting to find a way despite NL like, to, to to still get him. Uh, and if the there, Buster Olney was the one who reported they were looking at like a $30 million deal with him uh, if the DH came this year. So if the DH comes, I, I easily see them going for Nelson Cruz. Uh, but with the injury issues that are there, you have to start considering at least Tatis in a part-time role as DH. Yeah, yeah if, if they get the chance. They, there's He's so unbelievably talented, but he has got... At this point, we've seen that the shoulder injury he's done to Cody Bellinger. I, yeah. I think that feels pretty obvious that at least part of it has to do with him, So, or it has to do with that injury. So I don't want that to happen to Fernando Tatis where he has shoulder surgery and just never recovers. But, you know, like I said, he keeps playing through it. Good, More power to him. Good luck at it. But I'll as far as their team is concerned, I got real concerns about their team yeah. at this point. Like, uh, the pitching, we, we talk about Blake Snell a lot. Joe Musgrove's been pretty good again. Uh, but then it's like Darvish is hurt, Lamette is hurt, Paddock is hurt. Uh, they had to they had to bring in Jake Arrieta, who got cut from the Cubs. Guess what? He was terrible with the Cubs. They brought him in, and he got absolutely lit up. Now that's at Colorado, but still. So, for all the pitching that AJ Preller went out and acquired, it's just not working. You feel bad for the guy because no one has been more aggressive in trying to. Uh, take care of injuries, like add more talent. He's done that for two years, and it seemed like, unlike the uh, the Dodgers or the Rays, where the, whatever pixie dust they use turns everything to gold, his turns everything to coal. It just, it's it's no, it, the worst luck of, of an executive I've ever seen. Pitching. Uh, yeah. Uh, not hitting, because, like, Cronenworth's great, right? Like, he, yeah, he yeah. picked him up off the Rays, and fam, and, like, Frazier's been okay. So their, their offense, could Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado single-handedly or double-handedly carry these team past their bad pitching into the wild card. Yes, it's possible because if, they are if that guys talented. can get just if, if you Darvish can just be healthy enough yeah. and you had Musgrove, like you need just three or four guys to, to, to patchwork it together. Could they? It's possible, but it's growing less and less likely by the day. I'll get a bird's eye view uh, in a week when the Padres play the Dodgers in that series. I'll be going to one of those games. Nice. Uh, so I'll get a chance to see that. So we'll have, uh, we'll be, uh, uh uh, on location uh, uh, reporting from uh, both uh, Reds and Brewers uh, and uh, P- uh, Padres and Dodgers. So we'll have some uh, interesting races to uh, to uh, report on. Any talk of Colorado or Arizona? 
No. Well, let's, I think the, if you can't say anything, Arizona, nice, don't you say anything a, at all. Arizona, you had a no-hitter, and you had that fake no-hitter earlier this year from Madison Bumgarner, so congratulations. And Colorado, good luck. You're a team. Uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, let's uh, touch base. It's been a couple of weeks. Again, it, it feels like you have been as snake-bit as A.J. Preller uh, as far as uh, your fantasy team. Uh, with uh, injuries of guys that were supposed to come back. Now, one did, another one hasn't. I remember my goal was to make it to 90 points. I'm yep. up to 82, so okay. making okay. a little ground here. Now, the the pitching has been a big part of it. Uh, some of the pitchers, I mentioned how great Tristan McKenzie's been. I have Tanner Houck. Whenever he pitches, yeah. he's great. I don't know why Boston doesn't pitch him more. I added Yoasker Hianoa. He looks really good. Josiah Gray has pitching great for Washington, so a lot of it is, once again, the pitching. Patino is still pretty good, and... Uh, Hitting-wise, Muncy and Seager being back is very helpful. That, that has been a big part of it. Max Muncy has six home runs in the last two weeks with 12 RBIs. And I said, I, you could make the case at this point, Max Muncy's at 28 home runs, 76 RBIs, leading baseball and on-base percentage at 396. He should get some MVP consideration, too, how good he's been. But yeah, actually, the other guy that who's been very good for me lately has been Aledmus Diaz because anybody in Houston's lineup it's just great. So he's been filling in, and the last couple of weeks he is sixteen for forty-five with a homer and seven RBIs, which is yeah, that'll play. That that's working. Anybody on Houston just seems to figure out what they're doing. So mm, I'm still sitting where you know, obviously where Mike Trout would really help. I was looking at this over again, but I'm up to third again in the pitching categories, and I'm tenth in the hitting categories. I just need need a couple of heaters. I that's just that's need really another, all it takes. I need about 20 home runs and uh there's only Mike like the only person that's going to do that's Mike Trout right and so I'm not going to be able to add that off the waivers the only waiver move I made I tried to get Nikki Lopez who stole nine bases the last couple weeks for Jeez. the for Kansas City but I did not bid enough so instead I needed did you see that Gregory Polanco got waived by the Pirates well so he was no longer in my lineup because I, I didn't want to keep him in the waivers so I added uh Jorge Mateo who's another Baltimore guy mm. who they took a chance on him. He was a big prospect like three, four years ago with the Cubs, and they got traded to Baltimore. And so I, there's some chance for some speed there. I can still make up some ground in steals. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I still think I can get to 90 points. That's still the goal is 90 points and top 100 overall. Right now I'm sitting at 206th overall and 81 points. So come on, Mike Trout. We'll see about that calf injury here. I, he was at the game last night, so maybe. Maybe we'll see what the next uh, next weeks have to uh, to hold. But at this point, that wraps up our uh, podcast for this week. Uh, one more uh, break in the action uh, with uh, vacation conference stuff uh, coming up uh, here, so we won't have a, a podcast next week. But then we'll be back for each ones with uh, the home stretch, and we'll uh, have more information when we get back together on the uh, the live broadcast. Speaking of live, Alex Verdugo just hit a two run home run for the Red Sox as they are now up two to nothing over the Rangers. <laughs> So the uh, uh, baseball, uh, uh, got to love afternoon games uh, of any kind, and uh, nice to see that going through. And Verdugo has been, has been a nice uh, – that trade made a lot of sense for them. And Mookie Betts obviously going to the, the Dodgers is everything he wanted to be, but Verdugo has been a, a key part of that offense in the Red Sox. And the Rangers are really bad on offense. There is that. <laughs> Take care. See you next week. or see you in two weeks. 